as we reach, grow, and serve the community for Christ, what does that look like? So everything, it's the filter in which we pass everything through. What we do and when we do life groups. What we do and when we do our service projects and uh, who we partner with. And we've recently, this past year, developed a really good relationship with Morningstar Mission. And we continue our fantastic relationship with Joliet Cares. And we look at what are the next steps we can take um, to be invested in this community. But as I uh, think about that, and as even I, I started working on myself and uh, thinking about where I'm at with God and um, what God's been working on me um, through this past season of my life, I realized this truth that I was making the mission statement of the church the thing that I did at church. Like, this was work. And so just like maybe you have a mission statement or vision statement at your job uh, to do whatever with whatever widget that you do, um, I was doing that with Reach, Grow, Serve here at the church. And so as I've been processing that, I've been praying through that, I thought, that's a problem. Because to reach, grow, and serve the community for Christ is not a mission statement for this building And it's not a mission statement just for our staff when we're at work, but it is a mission statement for every single person who calls this church home. It's a life mission. And that is a significant attitude change. That's a significant moment because if this week something happened, we had a tornado in January, which would be very interesting, but we had a tornado in January and this building wasn't here anymore. Our purpose, our mission as a body of believers would still be to reach, grow, and serve the community for Christ. If I was no longer the pastor here, this church, actually, you've got to, bylaws wise, you have to vote as a church to change your lifeblood from whatever it was from reach, grow, serve the community for Christ to something else. It is supposed to be intimately a part of who we are. And we, we work very hard as staff here at the church, to provide opportunities for reach, grow, and serve to happen. But what happens when we embody this in such a different way that I'm consciously thinking about how do I reach my neighbor for Christ? How do I grow with my neighbor for Christ? How do I serve my neighbor in Christ? Do you see the difference in that? Instead of putting the, the, the pressure on a program or a thing or a building or something we're doing, it's, it's something that becomes part of who we are. And this is who I want to start becoming. I think I, I, I hit on this. I hit glimpses of it. I'm like, oh, I did it right today. <laughs> like everyone's like, oh, I did it. But I want this to become who I am, who I breathe in and who I breathe out. Someone who is reaching, growing, and serving my neighbor for Christ. Do you see the difference in that? Do you see how that, that changes, I think, even our neighborhoods and, and who we are and how we act? It illuminates who we are in Christ a lot more. When we embody reaching our neighbor for Christ, growing with our neighbor in Christ, and serving our neighbor for Christ, the opportunities to do all those things just start happening. Um, When we wait for the church to reach, grow, and serve, we wait for an opportunity. We wait for the calendar to be right. We wait for that thing to be planned, then what happens when we can't attend that day? Well, I can't grow this year. Another quarter down the drain, I can't do that. And that, that's where we find ourselves. That's where I find myself, and you probably have found yourself, if, you're, if we're honest, kind of in the same boat. Well, I missed that Bible study. I guess I can't read the Bible for another week. 
that's not how this works, <laughs> right? But we do it. Oh, I missed prayer meeting. Uh, not going to pray. That's not how this works. We embody this to reach, grow, and serve our neighbors. And I don't know about for you, but I've been taking this idea of community and breaking it down even more because community is a nice word, but neighbors is even more personal. And then what happens if you in your head or in your notes think about, you feel like we're, t- we're talking about a tic-tac-toe board and put yourself in the middle of the tic-tac-toe board. You can do that for the people that are sitting around you in this church service or the, or the actual people who live around you in your neighborhood and, and fill it in. What happens when you say, well, I want to reach, grow, and serve the people on this tic-tac-toe board? You see how personal that starts to become? How do I reach, grow, and serve the Galettis who live to the left of me? How do I reach, grow, and serve the Salkuses who live two doors down? How do, how, do I, how do I impact their lives? How do I reach, grow, and serve Jose who lives to the right of me, who was not mad at me for destroying his Santa lights with my snowblower last week, by the way? Um, he laughed at me, though, pretty, pretty good. Um, how, how, do I, how do I come in contact with them? How do I do that? Because when I put faces to that aim, because I don't, I've been guilty of this as the pastor of this church, like we're going to reach, grow, and serve the community for Christ. And I had this blank, like, person that I made up in my, my brain. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I can't even exp- explain what was going on in here. But I had this as this figment of this perfect person that I wanted to get to reach, grow, and serve uh, in this community. But what happens when I put actual people in there? What if I, the guy, um, Kevin makes fun of me uh, sometimes because I'm like, hey, I know that guy. And it's actually like the Starbucks barista, and we see him somewhere else. I'm like, Jared, he's not really your friend. Oh, yeah. Uh, Whoopsie-daisy. Uh, me, me, me and the guy at Firehouse Subs were really close for a while there. Uh, but, um, you know, that happens. So what happens but, well, now if I start putting his name and his face in the spot of I want to reach, grow, and serve that person in Christ Jesus? You see how that changes things? If Tom changes that with the guys who are working with him um, in, the, in the carpentry union, that starts changing, right? If, if, if Paul starts going, hey, the guys who, that I come in contact with at the McDonald's, they're working behind the registers, and when I come in there, I get, that changes your attitude. You can't really be as mad at them, can you? They just still call you at 4 o'clock in the morning, so you can be mad at that part. That's, that's ungodly hours anyway. But, you know, you know, if Eric's over here looking at the tile guys and going, oh, yeah, what happens when I reach, grow, and serve? them. Do you see how that, that changes the whole idea to make it more personal? I know it's changing the way in which I'm looking at it. And so this morning as we step into grow, this is one of these, I, I am enamored by this idea. I love this part. Now, last week was all about reach, and if you weren't here and you want to know more about uh, kind of what we're thinking about there, check out the podcast from last week. You can download that and get cut up to speed. But this week we're talking about grow. And I love this part because for me, uh, I've always made grow like I get to sit in my comfy chair and study the Bible and get all my commentaries next to it and find all of the Greek stuff and just go all nerd on the Bible. And just that's fantastic. And I get to be by myself and I have to talk to people. Reach, I have to talk to people. Right. Uh, But grow, you get to be by yourself. And that's actually totally wrong. We're going to talk about a lot of ways that I do things wrong here today, okay? But, but grow is, is this thing that we, always, we have to be shooting for. I think this is one of these that we're kind of scared of. But this truth kind of came through this week as I was studying for this message is this. We grow when we are more concerned with who we are becoming than who we were. 
We grow when we are more concerned with who we are becoming than who we were. Do you hear that? A lot of us in our lives are so concerned with who we are and the mistakes of our past and the junk that we have had that we keep that from becoming a springboard into who we can become. We grow when we put that stuff behind us and step into who we want to be and who God is calling us to be. Our past can be one of two different things. It can be an anchor that weighs us down and tries to drown us in guilt and shame and junk, or it can be a springboard that says, I'm not going back there anymore. That choice is yours. When you look at the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, Narrative after narrative, story after story, encounter with God after encounter of God. He takes people with really, really junky pasts, worse pasts than whatever you've done. It doesn't even matter what you've done. You could be the most heinous serial killer in the history of mankind hanging out in this service right now. In the Bible, there's still worse people than you. Like, they're they're in there, and God continuously reaches into their junk, reaches into their mess, reaches into their pain, reaches into their slop redeems them, and writes a different story for them. We grow when we are more concerned with who we are becoming than who we were. Does this make sense? I need a head rattle or something here, okay? Because this is what grow is, and and out of that basis and out of that that moment, everything else starts to shape uh, forward. The Greek word for grow is oxano. It's a really cool word, oxano. Now, if I was still a youth pastor, this would probably be like one of our cool hipster words that we'd use is Oxano, right? Every, every millennial uh, youth pastor would use these kind of, that makes it automatically more spiritual if you use the Greek word, right? It's automatically more, 10 more spiritual points when you use the Greek word. Um, so Oxano, but this is a fun, fun, fun word. But as we think about it, this is the Greek word for grow. The Greek word for, uh, is Oxano, which means to increase, to become greater, to increase, to become greater. How does this uh, incorporate into our lives? What does it mean? Well, if I'm going to grow, how do I become greater? And then how do I take those with me and help them become greater? And this is the idea I want to encapsulate when we talk about we're going to be a church who grows as a people and grows with our neighbor. How do we help them become greater? How do we become greater? And it's a question we need to ask ourselves a lot. Usually, I say all the time, it's real easy for me to ask, how do I be better? How do I get more? How do I get whatever stuff? But what happens if we reframe that question just a little bit and say, how do I help my neighbor get better? How do I help my friends get better? That changes the way things kind of work a little bit in our heads. But this is what it means to grow. There is a passage in the scripture in Mark chapter 2. It's one of my favorite stories. It's one of the very first stories I remember as a child. Uh, My mom is a fantastic storyteller. And uh, I remember the props that she used to tell this story in probably Sunday school uh, a long, 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 long time ago. But uh, this is the story. It doesn't even need props. It's so cool. I, you know, I just imagine, this is how I imagine the Bible kind of starting to be formed by the disciples talking to each other and, and working through, okay? So you've got the disciples are a bunch of teenage to early 20s guys. That's who they are when they're hanging out with Jesus. And so after Jesus' um, his death and resurrection, they're still teenagers and 20-something guys hanging around a campfire wondering what's going on. 
And so I just imagine if you're around a campfire with your buddies at 24 years old, what do you do? You remember the time when, and this is one of those remember the time stories that I know Mark had, oh, I got to write that one down, right? It made the cut because it was the best of the, remember the time when, and this is the story. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such a large number that there was no room left and not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by the four of them. Since they could not get get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. He said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took up his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and praised God, saying, we have never seeing anything like that. Can you believe they tore down the roof? You know, no, they're, they're amazed by this. But you, remember the time those guys climbed on the house and they took the totally like remodel project in the middle of the thing? Here's the deal. This happens where? I just read it. Come on. Capernaum. All right, here we go. It happens in a little city called Capernaum. Half the disciples are from this little town called Capernaum. They knew these jokers that climbed up on the roof and tore a hole in it. They knew them. They went to, you know, temple with them in synagogue. They hung out with them. They're like, that guy can't remember scripture for the save his life of him, but he can sure tear a hole in the ceiling. Right? They knew these guys. They knew them. Capernaum is like 500 people. Okay? It's a little bitty sleepy fishing village. They knew them. They're standing around and going, what is this joker doing? Whose house was it? I want to know. And, you know. Some of them are like, yeah, that lady always yelled at me, you know, whatever. <laughs> Tearing the roof off. I love it. I love it. Does that put in a little more perspective for you? You kind of catch it? But think about it. Like, this is a crazy story anyway, but these guys are from this town. These disciples are. Do you remember when? I love it. One of the things that pops out at me is these guys are so um, just motivated to get their friend to Jesus, that they're willing to do anything about it. One of the things that keeps me from, I know, uh, reaching out to my neighbors and, uh, and trying to help my neighbors or uh, my friends or the people I come in contact with is, what are they going to think about me? How is this going to mess up this relationship? What's that going to look like? Notice who gets yelled at, who gets in trouble, who has an argument in this, this passage. Is it the guys who just did property damage? No one says a word to them. No one. Isn't that amazing? The argument is between Jesus and the cranky people. That's a spiritual technical term, the cranky people and Jesus, Right? That's the argument. It's not the people who are just so concerned about getting their friend to Jesus. They're not the ones getting in trouble. And they committed a felony. You see that? I think sometimes I, 
I get in there, I get, I build up, oh, they're going to hate me, they're going to be mad at me, they're not going to want to talk to me, all this stuff. That's not even where the contention lies. The contention lies in people dealing, did you, did you hold your teeth the right way, and, and, and all, this, all this legalistic stuff. That's where the tension was in the drama. The drama wasn't, I just want to get you to Jesus. Another thing I want to think about these guys hanging out in Capernaum is Jesus would have preached in Capernaum before. He regularly went to Capernaum. It was a place, it's on the Sea of Galilee. He hung out there a lot. Why? Because they would go home to the disciples. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law is there. Um, maybe they stayed away from it a lot. I don't know. But Peter's mother-in-law is, is there at, uh, at Capernaum, and there's all kinds of stuff going on there. And so they, they see it. I wonder how many times these guys were like hanging out with their, uh, their paralyzed friend, and they're like, well, Jesus came to town. Or did they go see Jesus before and leave their paralyzed friend there? Like, there's a lot of friendship issues going on right here, right? Uh, these are where my mind goes. Had they tried to get the guy to Jesus before? Were they just being, you know, nice friends and be like, well, yeah, the biggest, you know, teacher, rock star rabbi, if that's a, even a thing, rock star rabbi is in town, but we're going to hang out with our friend. I mean, that's pretty good friendship. But it only took one of them to go, you know what we should do? We should take this guy to Jesus. And they didn't set out to tear the roof off something. They set out to get their friend to Jesus. How do we model that? How do we step into that? I think there's a lot for us today. These obviously aren't guys who have all the answers. They're obviously guys who can't, like, they don't have the clout to to make the, the crowd move. But what they have is the courage to get their friend to Jesus. And you and me, it doesn't matter if we have seminary degrees, we know all the right answers, whatever. Do we have the courage to get our friends to Jesus? That's, that's, the, that's the bare bones question there. Do we have the courage to say, I'm going to get my friend to Jesus? This attitude of getting our friends to Jesus could be, lead to a beautiful season in our life. A beautiful time in our lives where, you know, we're, we're not going to care about the, the logistics of it. I get mired in the logistics of getting people to Jesus to do reach, grow, serve. How, what's that going to look like? How many vans do we have to rent? All that stuff. You know, all the, 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 the little things about the, the whole, whole thing. But how do we get people to Jesus? I mean, I, I would love to have been someone just sitting there watching these yahoos figure out what they're going to do. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Can you, in your head, think about that? They all got a corner of the mat, and they're, like, walking up, and there's a big crowd. They're like, hmm. Hey, you know what we should do? <laughs> like, we should go up on the roof. What are we going to do up on the roof? Tear, tear a hole in it. And what was Jesus thinking, right? So you, traditionally, rabbis would sit down, and everyone else is around them, and, and they would teach. And so Jesus is hanging out in this house. And since he's like Jesus, he knows what's happening, but he's also like, you know, not letting on that he knows what's happening. But what happens when the dust starts falling? You know, <laughs> like right now, if stuff started shaking and snow was starting to come in from the roof, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Uh, like, you know, anyway, yes. Uh-huh. And it wouldn't have been like you didn't cut out a four-by-four four sheet all at once. You didn't have a circular saw. It would have been like hole and then dust and then hole. And then what are these guys like? Everyone in the room is just waiting. And like, anyway, his mom's standing right there. What you got to do about the? Hi, mom. 
just cutting a hole in the Smith's roof right now. But, but John's here, and Jesus is going to heal John. Like, what did that look like? If you don't read the Bible like that, that's a fun way. You, you're not in trouble if you read the Bible like that, okay? Because these what-if questions bring you into, into the narrative of the Scripture. What is actually happening here? I love it, I love it, I love it. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't go, what, what, what are you doing, guys? Like, he could have been like, okay, wait, wait. Stop with the property damage. You're healed. From, like, he could have done that. He's done the healing from far away. He could have, he could have stopped all that, made it, made, but no, he lets the whole thing play out. Maybe the house was one of those Pharisees that are giving him a hard time. I don't know. I don't think Jesus was that vindictive, okay? I don't, I don't think Jesus was vindictive. But maybe, who knows what it was? Did he just go, and it, it fixed at the end? I also don't know if Jesus had sound effects, but it would be cool if he did. Um, how, do we, how do we take this in our own lives and become like these guys, about these friends? How do we do that? What, what does that mean for us? What does it have to do for us and grow? Because these guys embody the kind of attitude I want with my neighbor, with my community. I will stop at nothing to get you to Jesus, right? They're willing to care carry the person when walking isn't an option. How many relationships do you have in your life that you know walking is not an option? All right? There's been times in my life where walking was not an option. I'm not talking about physical walking. I'm talking about the spiritual, emotional stuff where I just, I can't. We got to be friends who are willing to say, you know what, I know you can't walk right now, but I'm willing to carry. And that's what the church should look like. That's what being a neighbor, when Jesus is saying, you got to love your neighbor, he's saying that you've got to carry when walking isn't an option. And that's messy, and it's hard, and it hurts, but we've got to be willing to carry when walking is not an option. Second thing we can do. And I love this one. You've got to show up. you got to show up. Like, you got to have presence to have impact, right? And so I love that these guys, like Jesus coming to town would have been the hottest ticket ever. It would have been like having front row seats to Hamilton. It would have been the biggest thing, the biggest thing ever. And so that, that whole wanting to come in contact with him. But you know your friend who is hurting, who's been paralyzed or sick or whatever, cannot walk, is sitting there, and there's no chance he's got it there. You think of the choice in that, the choice that he's got to say, you know what, I'm going to show up and be with you. I'm going to show up and sit at your feet, hang out with you. Showing up is so important. I think... That translates into how we show up in our friends' lives, how we show up in our family's lives, how we show up in our church's life. Showing up matters. You cannot grow if you're not in the soil. Like you can buy packs and packs and packs of seeds, but if they're never in the, in the soil, there's no chance. There's no chance. They show up. We can do that. Second thing, or third thing that we can do is we get to read the Bible. You got to get in the Bible. Get in the Bible. It is infinitely easier to carry someone when you know which way to carry them. 
It is infinitely easier to carry someone when you know which way you're supposed to carry them. I've told you this story before. There is this, uh, about 12 years ago, I was at Six Flags with, one, with a bunch of my students. Now, going to Six Flags with 30, 40 plus students is uh, the definition of youth pastor hell. Okay, I just want you to know that. So if you wonder why, like, like that doesn't happen a lot, it's because it's terrible. And this is one of the reasons. It's 95 degrees outside in Atlanta, Georgia, and we go to Six Flags. Yay. It's already going to be a great day. Uh, So we're going, and I'm following with the junior high boys because I always had to be with the junior high boys because they always had to get knocked around a little bit more than everybody else. And so what do they do? They take their foot, do the junior high boy thing, and kick the back foot, you know, and I'm I'm educating people on how to trip right now, but kick the back foot, you trip, you fall on the ground, ah, the asphalt's 90 billion degrees because it's 95 degrees outside and you're going to hurt because it's going to burn your skin. That was the plan. I didn't do it, so don't judge. But I'm like, stop. I just remember it. I see it in my head. Stop. Kid falls on the ground. Ah, Starts screaming. We're being a little dramatic, buddy. Billy was his name. I look at Billy. It's like, what's the matter, Billy? Ah, he's screaming like a stuck pig. And then every time he, he hits his skin on the asphalt, ah, even more. And it's just building and building. And people are gathering around. I'm like, this is awesome. I have a kid dying on the floor at Six Flags. This is great. And so I don't know what to do. He's screaming. I pick him up. It's right in front of the smoke shack. Because there you had to have these specific spots you could smoke. So I got this lady, you're not supposed to move them. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> And so I, I pick him. I, he's burned in my head. I picked him up, and I'm just wandering around. And he's like, he's screaming in my arms. I'm like, oh my gosh, where? And I'm wandering up to anybody who. Where's the first aid station? We needed some serious signage going on. Finally, after wandering around the park, some uh, some attendant sees this kid screaming and goes, "The first aid station's that way." So, B B line. It was infinitely easier to carry him when I knew where I was supposed to be going. He broke his collarbone. End of the story. The mom was mad at me that the collarbone broke. It's not my fault. But anyway, uh, youth pastor problems. Uh, so that was, that was my story of Six Flags. Hence, we've, I've never taken a group back to Six Flags and, uh, since that moment. Mm, no plans on to either. Uh, so, um, but it was infinite. I tell you that story because it's infinitely easier to carry someone when you know which way to carry them. And when I was, when I was going there, it was, it was so hard. He got so heavy when I was just was hopeless. Where am I? Where's the first aid station? Infinitely easier to carry them. Read in the Bible. It's infinitely easier to help your neighbors when you're in the Word. Because in here you may think this is hard to understand or hard to read, but I'll tell you this, there's not a life experience that, you, that you're struggling with that's not dealt with, that someone else hasn't been through, that someone else hasn't carried a torch through, that someone else hasn't been redeemed from in these pages. If you're looking at a place to get started in the Bible, it's, it's January, so it's a fantastic time. Everyone's kind of starting these new things. If you want to read a gospel, read the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John. John is the easiest uh, easiest gospel or a book about Jesus that um, to read, it's also the hardest at the same time. So there's just so much depth in there. You can just continue to read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, but get into the Bible, read the gospel of John. If you want a, a letter, an epistle, like more practical stuff, how does this work? Read either the letter uh, of James or Philippians. Now, James comes with a caveat. It's going to say stuff that you don't want to hear. The Bible's not wrong. <laughs> 
It's your attitude that's wrong. Can you go ahead and throw that out there? Sorry about that. Um, but when I read the scripture, I'm like, well, that can't be. Oh, it's the Bible. Um, so we always submit our, our spirits to the, to the scripture. But read the Bible. And it's infinitely easier to help carry your neighbors to where they need to be. When you know, when you, when you can point back to it. Next thing we can do is pray. We can pray. It is easy to get someone to the doctor when you know the doctor. I'm always telling Kevin, well, man, you should go to the doctor for that. Kevin won't go to the doctor. Funny thing is, I don't go to the doctor either, but I'm really quick to tell him to go to the doctor. <laughs> right? You should go to the doctor for that. Just drink some apple cider vinegar and it'll all go away, right? It's easy to get someone to the doctor when you know the doctor. Pray. Develop a habit of coming in contact with God. Not coming in contact with God to give him this laundry list of to-do things. He's not your short-order cook. He's not your maid. But pray to get to know him. Because out of that relationship, out of that, that quietness of being with him, comes the equipping to be able to help your neighbor. final thing these guys are willing to do is they're willing to take extraordinary steps to help. They're willing to take extraordinary steps to help. Think about that. I want to be a friend who's willing to take extraordinary steps. Extraordinary. Willing to rip the roof off to get you to where you need to be. There was times in my life where I was, I was dealing with some serious, serious issues, and I still remember sitting in a guy's living room and we didn't talk for a couple hours. I was just there. And he was there with me. I could not have been very fun to be around. But his ministry to me in those moments are things that, this is a long time ago. I don't even know how many years. I can't do the math. But I remember the carpet. <laughs> I remember the paint on the walls. And I remember George sitting with me. Willing to take extraordinary steps to get people to Jesus. This is the kind of person I want to be. This is the kind of friend I want to be. And so when we say, I want to, we want to be a part of a church, we want to be a church body that reaches and grows and serves the community for Christ, is that we're saying we will strive, we will reach, we will strain to, to speak into the lives of the people around us. And that when we grow, we are willing to go to extraordinary lengths to help, to build up, to take you and I to the next level in our faith with God. You see how that that changes our mentality, that changes who we are, that changes our attitudes towards things? I want to be willing to take extraordinary steps to help. Because in the end, these guys are focused on one thing, Get him to Jesus. Get him to Jesus. I don't have the answers. I got a few things I'm like, oh, I know this one. But Jesus is infinitely more capable of dealing with all the different issues of our past and our present and our future. We just get to be facilitators of, hey, I will pick you up. I will piggyback you. I will carry you. I will do whatever it needs to be to get you to Jesus.
as a church, we've got to be willing to take those kind of steps. To be kind of people who say, you know what, we're, we're a community. Whether we are 40 people, 80 people, 100 people, 200 people, that we will be a place that says we are willing to do extraordinary things to get you to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to share this vision and this mission you've placed so heavily on my heart. God, I thank you that this is not just a thing that, um, that, a, that a church has. This is not something, a slogan we just paint on the wall, but it is a, it is a statement that we are imprinting on our heart and on our soul, that we want to be a people that we want to be a, a, a friend, a neighbor group that reaches people in your name, that grows people in your name, that serves people in your name. And when we do that, we step into lives and we start living this life the way that you would have us live it. God, I want to live every day, every moment and every hour in such a way that brings a smile to your face. So, Lord, I, I would have loved to have seen your debrief moment after this all happened around the campfire. But I know I want to be a teller of stories of when you encountered my neighbor, when you encountered my friend, when you encountered me, and how I am different because of it. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you're doing in my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you all the days of your life. You are dismissed.